שלום. Now, what has been recorded for us in the familiar passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to verse 13, and which we recite verbatim at our worship service, has been popularly known as the Lord's Prayer. But it was actually a prayer taught to the disciples by Jesus. As a pattern for their prayers. So technically, and more so theologically, calling it the Lord's Prayer is wrong. Because Jesus need not pray for the forgiveness of sin. Because he has no sin. So the prayers we more accurately refer to as the Lord's taught prayer. Uh, the so-called Lord's Prayer, or Jesus' pattern for prayer. But there is a truly Lord's Prayer in the Bible. The truly Lord's Prayer where Jesus had intimate communion with his Father and where he prayed for his disciples and praying for us is actually recorded for us in John chapter 17. the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Make no mistake about it. Our Lord Jesus is a man of prayer. Though very little is recorded, all right? very little is recorded of the contents of Jesus' prayer life, frequent prayer, frequent communion with his Father and his prayerful concern for his disciples, for his followers. Now, if we have the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17, I suggest this morning that we have the Apostles' Prayer in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, our scripture text for this morning. So please, would, if you would, Turn your Bible to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul writing, beginning with verse 11, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our prayer may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness, and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul was also a man of prayer. In fact, that word constantly in verse 11 bears that up. In fact, Paul's prayer life is exemplified four times in this short epistle, Second Thessalonians. First here, found in chapter 1, verses 11 to 12. And then he prays again in chapter 2, verse 16 to verse 17. 
he prays for the third time in chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 5. Incidentally, I'll be preaching in a passage on the 24th of September, and then the fourth one, finally, in chapter 3, verse 16. And interestingly, perhaps more importantly, it's providentially and not coincidentally that as Jesus in the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17 prayed for his disciples so that no matter what happens to them after his crucifixion, Jesus assured them that he is the victor. He is going to rise from the dead. He, he has overcome the world. In fact, before praying in John chapter 17, he's in John chapter 16, verse 33, told his disciples, be of good cheer, do not be afraid. I've overcome the world. In the world, you have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. So Jesus encouraged them, be of good cheer. I'm the victor. Similarly, Paul, that's why I say it is not coincidentally, but providentially, that Paul also in his prayer that we are going to look at this morning in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 to verse 12. He's going to encourage the Thessalonian believers, the Thessalonian believers who are facing increasing persecution. So in Paul's prayer here that we read in these two short verses, Paul prays for the church members that God will make his people worthy of all that God wants them to be. The first part of verse 11. With this in mind, we pray constantly for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. And then he goes on to pray that God will fulfill in them in every good deed and fruit of faith. He said that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. And if the church, if the church members submit to the Spirit's work in their lives in all these things, then they will be glorifying the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, he says, We pray this, and that's his purpose. The name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 12, is it? This is the epitome of what it means to be children of God. This is the, the essence of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To be those who have been called of God and to walk worthy of His calling. So God making us worthy, okay, and then accomplishing His will through us and all of it glorifying the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I see here Paul praying for two things. To encourage us as we live for Jesus, despite all the hardship and problems and pressure that we may encounter as we do so. The first is God's calling for us to be worthy. And I believe that talks about our character. Our character. So first, the believer's character. Paul is praying for the believer's character that God's calling for us to be worthy will be evident in our lives. Verse 11, the first part of verse 11. So as we 
Pastor Jonathan, two weeks ago, as he began this, our study of this book of Second Thessalonians, and so already told us that there's been a few months after writing his first letter to the church at Thessalonica, that now Paul writes his second letter to the Christians there. Why did he write a second letter? Evidently, the first letter didn't answer all their questions. And so as Pastor Jonathan, two weeks ago, rightly pointed out for us, that there were these three major concerns. One, persecution had intensified all right, for the church there. They got a letter from someone claiming to be from the Apostle Paul, saying that the second coming had already come. But this letter wasn't from Paul himself. And as a result of that, thirdly, some had even quit their job to become loafers, bummers, uh, waiting for the rapture, waiting for the second coming, and becoming a burden for the church. In the light of all that, and in particular the increasing persecution, Paul proceeds to pray for his Thessalonian brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, you'll recall the way back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul had exhorted them, exhorted the church, exhorted us to pray continually. Paul has exhorted us to pray unceasingly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 7. And here, Paul is putting his precept into practice. He's not just talking rhetorically, oh, you need to pray, we need to pray, but never pray. He exhorted us to pray, and here he's going to pray. So Paul begins verse 11 with this in mind. What did Paul have in mind? What did Paul have in mind? Is Paul referring back to verses 3 and 4, where he gives thanks for their growing faith and for their love for one another? Or is he referring to verses 5 to 10? where Pastor Zuping last week talked about God setting things straight at the second coming, okay, where he would judge and punish the ungodly. And at the same time, we wait for the glorification of the believers, of the saints, in that last day at the second coming. Well, commentators are divided on this. I personally believe Paul had the latter in mind, okay, especially the glorification of believers at the second coming when you know, that the great you know, event you know, when you will all uh, see Jesus again in all his glory. So, the future prospect, even with the future prospect of glory in mind, with that kind of future prospect, it motivated the apostle Paul to pray for the believers. Yes, there was this increasing persecution but the promise of the glorification of the church prompted Paul to pray for the believers. Hence, I think we must never neglect a present responsibility just because we have the future hope. Yes, we wait for that great and coming day. But let us continue to press on and let us continue to pray for one another. In fact, on the contrary, the future hope must encourage us to be faithful today must encourage us to be even more prayerful uh, today, even as we wait for that great day. 
Then what did he pray for? Specifically with that phrase, worthy of his calling. Paul prayed that the worthy of the calling, that the Thessalonians were encouraged to live up to their calling, praying for worthy of, of God's calling. You see, we need to pray, and Paul needed to pray for the church there, because, you see, we are completely unworthy of God's call. And we cannot make ourselves any more worthy. We are not worthy. We possess no righteousness of our own. But God counts us with righteousness because we come to Him by faith. So what it is inspiring, you know, that God called us. We are unworthy. He called us. He makes us worthy. But we must not be so, you know, so we exalt in this thought, so overjoyed by this thought that we begin to go slack along the way. We must seek to be worthy. We must seek to be worthy. And that's Paul's main concern here. That's why he prayed this prayer. Calling here is meant to the ultimate glory itself. It is indeed of God and not of man. Earlier on in verse 5, Paul has stated that he wanted them to be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Paul's desires now is that they might lift up to that calling. So instead of asking God to remove all our hardship, and our problems, take away all this persecution, we pray that God will make us the kind of children that He wants us to be in the midst of all our troubles. The Thessalonians were experiencing severe persecution. And Paul here was encouraging them on to press on and to live worthily of their calling. You see, listen. Trial does not make a person. Trials only reveal what a person is. Make no mistake. Trials do not make a person. They reveal what a person is made of. And so when our faith is tried, it reveals that we are our calling as a child of God. When our faith, when, when, when our faith, we are met with persecution, it just will reveal our worth, reveal our character as the children of God. Of course, God certainly knows our hearts even before we are tested or tried. But we do not know our own hearts. And others do not know what we are worth. And because of that, Paul prayed here. We need to pray that God will build our worth and make us more valuable Christians because of the trials, because of the persecution that we have to endure or to live through. And that's what exactly Paul prayed for the Thessalonians as they were facing increasing persecution. And so my brothers and sisters in Christ, we all know, all right, even living today, the Christian life is not a bed of roses. Okay, as Pastor Tony, Pastor Tony, that's prophetic, Tony. Um, 
uh, Elder Tony <laughs> in the announcement this morning for the upcoming dialogue with Joseph John. Uh, yeah, it's, I encourage you to really sign up for this because we are, you know, with varying intensity, all right? People are facing all kinds of challenges and troubles in life, even in peaceful, prosperous Singapore. All right? And we are going through this on a daily basis. We need, as a Christian, therefore, do we just fumble, crumble, stumble? Or can we live in spite of what we are going through and facing? Worthy of our calling as children of God. Now, we are not only encouraged to pray that we are worthy of God's calling. Next, we are encouraged to pray that God will empower us to walk by faith. In our own power, we are unable to live in such a manner that God can count us worthy of His calling. So Paul immediately adds to his prayer in the second part of verse 11, that by His power, He may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. So the first thing prayed for was the believer's character, that they will live worthy of God's calling. He next follow up with the believer's conduct and that God will empower them to live by faith and granting them the desire to fulfill all the longings that they have to want to walk worthily of the Lord. So here Paul prayed they might believe that they might believe in ways consistent with their identity as Christians. That they might live up to their calling to their salvation with lives marked by goodness, characterized by goodness and powerful works of faith. Paul was praying that by the sanctifying work of God, through his word and through the Holy Spirit, and even through our trials that we will live in a manner that will be consistent with our holy calling. This calling includes God's purpose for us here on earth and also, of course, the believer's ultimate place in glory, which I'll elaborate on later on in my conclusion. New Testament scholar and Bible commentator William Hendrickson said, and I quote, in the chain of salvation, which connects one eternity with another, constant prayer and daily sanctification are indispensable links. Constant prayer and daily sanctification are indispensable links in God's plan of salvation. Character must lead to conduct. Make no mistake about it. Paul prayed that they may, they may have the will empowered by God to do what God wants them to do. Obedience and service, walking with God, that do not come from human efforts because there's none. But it must come, therefore, from God's power as we trust Him. To empower us. So Paul says it's by his power that God may fulfill every good desire of ours. And it is by his power that the Lord may fulfill every act prompted by my faith. In other words, through his power, the power of God, that we will be fruitful in our walk with God 
in our life and ministry. When Paul asks that God, by His power, will bring to fruition, that He will fulfill every desire for goodness and every deed prompted by faith, he implies that no human power is, is, is adequate. No human power is adequate. Paul knows our frailty, our inadequacy, and therefore the divine is necessary. Therefore, when Paul prays that we will walk aright, walking worthy of our calling, he says it has to be by the power of God. So God, Paul is not here making, you know, talking about some rhetoric, you know, giving some religious ideas, some human reformation. Paul is serious. He wants to see genuine transformation. And that can only come about through the transforming power of God in our lives. Paul wants to see conduct that's the outflow of character that can only come about when the power of God is operative in one's life. My friends, if there are any of you here this morning, or, you know, or even for that matter, you've been here for a while, you've come to church, but you are just a pew warmer, a nominal Christian. I don't think you ever pray a prayer like this. Yeah, I don't think you will go to God and say, Lord, I plead with you that you help me to live in such a way that my life will honor you. And as Paul continues here, Lord, my longings, my desire will be your longing and your desire for my life. And that may, be, that may be fulfilled in my life and my works will be works of faith. I'm pretty sure that if you're only a Sunday Christian, that that is not your prayer, nor your priority. And that's your problem. Well, for this reason, Paul says, I pray for all of you that God will fulfill every desire for goodness and work of faith with power. So we are not only encouraged to pray that we are worthy of God's calling. Here we are encouraged to pray that God will empower us to walk by faith and that we will bear witness to the glory of God. Why so and how so? Such a worthy walk of verse 11 that Paul prayed will allow God to be glorified in us. Look at verse, two, verse 12. Paul says, I pray verse 11 like this for you. I, we pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, the day will come when Jesus will be glorified in our lives. There will be that great glorification, that great event. But Jesus should also be glorified in our lives today on a daily basis. You see, unbelievers blaspheme the Lord's name. 
but believers in Christ bless His name and seek to glorify it. The name of Jesus is above all other names. You know, the name in biblical time was much more than a means of distinguishing one person, person from the other. All right? As Boon saying from UA and so on and so forth. A name in biblical time sums up the whole character of the person. And the amazing thing is that the believer who glorifies Christ, we are told here, is also glorified in Christ. Paulus is glorified in you and you in him. So Paul states here the purpose of his prayer, the glorification of Christ in the believers and they in him. Verse 12 constitutes the goal and the purpose of our calling. And to this end, we should aim at in everything that we do, in everything that we desire, all our longings, that God and Jesus Christ in all things may be glorified. And therefore, our own happiness and even that of others should be subordinate to this ultimate end and purpose. That's the Apostle's purpose in the Apostle's prayer. Why is that so important? Why is that so important? Now, I promised earlier on that I'll conclude with this because that's exactly what Paul is concluding here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And with that same conclusion, I will also conclude. Paul says, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ glorified in us and us in him. I already explained what a name is. Right? To glorify his name means demonstrating to the world, living in such a way to the world that, that the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, what he is like, so that people of the world will come to hold him in that, with the greatest honour and the highest esteem for all that he has done and for, all, for who he is. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, I suggest to us that this is the very goal of our life. This is the goal of our life. That's why we are here. That's why we exist. That's why God called us with that holy calling so that the name of Jesus will be glorified in us and us in him. This really looks at our motive, all right, in our walk with the Lord. The aim and no, of knowing and serving the Lord, the aim of God's calling upon our life is to glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'll explain briefly the name. Let me also explain briefly what it means to glorify. To glorify the Lord means to make Him look as good as He really is. Non-Christians will blaspheme Him, all kinds, all kinds of things about Him. But we glorify the Lord to make Him look as good as He really is. We, we glorify the Lord to means, means that we reflect Him in our calling and our living 
in the most positive light concerning who he is and for all that he has done for us. That is to glorify him. How can this be done? You say, oh, I, again, as, you know, I say we are all unworthy. We actually have no power, no strength, no resources of our own. Can, how can this be done? Look at the closing part of verse 12. Verse 12, Paul says, it's according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again and again, Paul comes back to the great thought that the Christian owe everything they have and all that they are to God to the grace of God, the grace of God. So he closes with this picture of glory, the thought that all is according to the grace of God. You know, grace is one of the great Christian words in the Bible. And Paul uses it very often. It carries with it thoughts of the joyous, free favor that we have of God. It talks about the, his unmerited kindness to us. That's the grace of God. We don't deserve it. And there's nothing in and of ourselves to earn it. It is the grace of God. New Testament scholar and Bible commentator Leon Morris said in a quote, the grace of God, the wonderful grace of God, is operative in the whole chain of salvation. If it is more usual in the New Testament to find it used of the initial stages of salvation, there's no reason of thinking that it will be absent from the final stage. The glory of the last time will be due to God's grace to man. Today we live by grace, by even the day of the glorification. <laughs> when we arrive there, it is all the grace of God, the enabling grace of God. So having delved into this beautiful apostle's prayer, why wouldn't this be a prayer that we start to pray for one another? Yes, by all means, pray the so-called Lord's Prayer for ourselves. But can I suggest this morning to you that we pray the Apostles' Prayer for others? And that's what my CG members have been doing the whole of this last week at Justin's suggestion after he led our CG in a study of this passage a week ago that we pray this prayer this one whole week for one another. Yeah, why not? Why wouldn't it be a prayer to begin to pray for one another? And maybe even personalized for each individual. So we pray something like, God, may you make so and so, may you make this brother, may you make this sister, you name that person. All right? That he or she will be worthy of your calling and may he or she, may you fulfill you know, your, your every resolve. All right, for goodness and every desire to, you know, uh, to, for acts of, of faith and, and works of faith that uh, you will you know, accomplish this and glorify yourself. 
I think we can do that. So just as we have gotten into the habit of praying the Lord's Prayer, and the, the so-called Lord's Prayer, and it is a good thing, I'm glad that in our worship service here, we recite it every week. I encourage us to start this habit of praying for one another. The Apostles' Prayer here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 and verse 12. Let us pray. Our gracious Assembly, Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth from your word today. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit's power to do a mighty work in both our character and our conduct in such ways that will bring great glory to you, to your name. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.